Hi everyone, Brandon here with a quick word before the podcast. Glass Tire is a nonprofit publication that exists thanks to the support of readers and listeners like you. We know times are tough right now, but if you're able, we could really use your help. By visiting glasstire.com donate, you can make a one-time gift or become a monthly sustaining donor to our publication. All of the money we get goes right back into our coverage of Texas and its artists. One more time, that's glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks for listening, and here's today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Art Dirt. This is a bi-weekly podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I'm Brandon Zeck. I'm Christina Reese. And uh, today, with the start of the fall season and kind of with the flood of things that normally happens uh, in the fall, we're going to be talking about art fairs. So this conversation, uh, one of the reasons for it is because recently it was announced that Art Basel Miami is not happening this year. And I haven't seen official announcements. I don't know if I missed them or if they haven't come out, but I haven't seen official announcements from kind of all of the other auxiliary fairs that happen around Art Basel. But we're also having this conversation because last week, Christina, you wrote about the Dallas Art Fair for us because there's been a lot of news coming out of Dallas that the Dallas Art Fair um, is not pointedly refunding galleries that paid for their booths, even though the fair is canceled this year, but they're giving like a sort of credit for future years. And you kind of wrote about the implications of that and how art fairs and galleries try to coexist in a world that's purely driven by economics. Yeah, I mean, for me, the it was alarming news uh, on behalf of the galleries, which I tend to sort of side with, But it, which is not to say that I haven't appreciated the Dallas Art Fair over the years. I do. Um, but what I realized is that giving galleries their proposal after canceling the fair is that the galleries, and keep in mind, not every gallery had already paid entirely for its exhibitor booth, but about 60% of them had. And so these galleries, they have been told that they would have to return to the Dallas Art Fair not once but twice in order to get their money back because it's a 50% uh, credit for each year that they do the fair. Now, there's so much that's problematic about this. Um, number one, the fairs, I mean, the galleries that have already paid are the ones that are essentially being punished. Number two, it ties galleries to this fair for at least another couple of years, although of course, right now in this current environment, we don't know when art fairs are coming back. I mean, fairs that were scheduled for next year have been uh, canceled at this point. And while there are still a few fairs that seem to maybe be going on with the show, I think FIAC in, uh, in, in France is possibly still happening. It looks like it is right this second. I think there may be a Marfa. I think that it's little fair that just started a, you know, a year or two ago. I think they may be going ahead. I think their website said that it was spring 2021. Oh, it's funny because I was basing that on an, on an Instagram uh, comment by one of the organizers on a post, maybe one of our posts, 
that they were going ahead and that they were going to do it. And that was, that was just after I wrote that op-ed. But you know, I, we need to kind of take a look at the landscape without art fairs is essentially what we're doing. And for so many people who hate art fairs so much, this isn't bad news that art fairs are going to have to sort of go away because the idea of international travel for collectors as well as the exhibitors who would need to come in and ship all the work, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of this stuff just isn't particularly feasible. The idea that older collectors, um, kind of more traditional collectors are going to be happy to just hop on airplanes and travel the globe to go to all their favorite fairs. That I'm sure has taken a massive hit and will for the next couple of years with or without a vaccine. I feel like, Christina, it could be worth it to ground this conversation a little bit. So, um, of course, if you're listening to this, you probably know that Texas has had two more major art fairs in the past couple of years. The Dallas Art Fair, which has been around for a little while and draws a lot of people as normally in the spring. And the Texas Contemporary Art Fair, which I don't remember quite how old it is at this point, but maybe around 10 years, maybe a little more. It's uh, It came out of the starting gates really strong, but over the past years, the exhibitor numbers uh, have kind of dwindled a little bit. And Houston also... A little bit. Oh, significantly. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Houston also used to have another art fair that was actually the first art fair. It was called the Houston Fine Art Fair, later rebranded and renamed to the Houston Art Fair, and then it kind of dissolved into the ether. But also, I mean, me personally, I've... Uh, got to visit the armory fair and the auxiliary fairs around it, uh, in New York. Um, I also, I, I went to Miami for Miami Basel once, and this was, uh, back when I had kind of first started with glass tire and I, being as I had come from Texas and I had seen the Texas art fairs, um, I don't know. It, it didn't sink in how big these big art fairs were and how much, art and how many galleries were participating in them until I stepped into the Miami convention center and just kind of saw the, it was like when you're on a cruise ship and you just see this telescopic hallway when you look down, or if you're in a hotel and you, that happens, the same thing happens whenever you look down one of the rows of booths at one of these huge art fairs. And I, I actually, I wrote about the experience for glass tire because I had also just gone to Disney world of all places and yeah. I, I didn't, you know, I'm a person that loves art and I found Miami to be a draining kind of frightful experience. It's funny. Cause I wanted to talk about that a little bit at some point in this podcast. Like how do you experience art fairs? Like you, Brandon, Zach, or how do I experience them? Like, what do we like about them and what do we not? Because it's very, you know, it's very fashionable, so to speak, to, talk shit about art fairs and the effect that they have on people psychologically, the effect that it has on the art and the presentation of the art, mm -hmm. as well as what seems just so fundamentally unfair about the mega galleries and the big rich galleries, you know, they can truly afford to do art fairs and, um, and they tend to make a lot of money at them. Whereas mid tier and smaller galleries really, really struggle to keep up. And so it's, you know, it's, you don't often hear people championing art fairs, the whole idea of them, except for the galleries that tend to make money and the collectors who love the convenience of, of it being all under one roof. You're one of the most 
art-loving art lovers I've ever met in my life, Brandon. And for you to say that walking into Miami or the Armory and being overwhelmed and make, you know it making you not not enjoy the experience, I think is interesting. I think part of that in my in my experience with them, it's it's been because of how much the fairs kind of highlight the economic element of it. Like it's not going to a museum. It's not even going to a gallery where the economic element is, is forefronted. I mean, we know that galleries are for profit businesses, but going to an art fair, it's, it's the thought behind booths. Some of them are well curated. Some of them it's, it's a mall. It's like shopping. And I think when you're kind of more attuned uh, to seeing art or seeing art in exhibitions or seeing art where it makes sense that the art is being shown together, you pick up on purpose. And if you're attuned to that, you can pick up on the fact that the purpose is to move the art and to get as many eyes and dollars to bid on it as possible. And that's, I mean, that's something that it's, it's tiring to be in an environment like that because it's a bombardment also. And it's a lot of decision-making. Like with gallery exhibitions or with uh, exhibitions that are in museums, a lot of decisions are kind of made for you. Like this is what curators do. Curators or gallerists who know their spaces, they think about the flow of people through a space and they know that space and they put a show together that makes sense to where you can engage with it and kind of have this thoughtful dialogue with it. As opposed to art fairs, what they're trying to do is bombard you and get your attention. And it's all, it's a weird like tie-in and I don't want to get all attention economy about it. But that's very much what it is. It's big, it's splashy. The, the thought is what's going to get you to step foot into this booth and pay attention to it. And maybe more recently, take photos of it and post those photos. Even though that's not really, you know, the, the whole goal is economic. But if photos and promotion and PR can help, then that's a solid part of the equation. All of this, by the way, is completely decimated by the coronavirus, which is a whole second part of this conversation. Well, and some people, including Jerry Saltz, were saying that the art fair model is not sustainable, and he was saying this in 2018, and now here we are in 2020, and all the art fairs have gone away, but not for reasons any one of us would have predicted. I can say that uh, having having had a gallery, owned a gallery that did art fairs, and did art fairs in New York City and in Miami, you know, I know I have a tendency, again, to kind of think about what the gallerists themselves or the dealers are going through and what the cost is, which is an interesting thing. Uh, when you do make money at an art fair, it's pretty exhilarating because it can be a lot of money that comes in very quickly, which maybe is not the experience that you have in your own city, in your own space. Mm-hmm. When it doesn't work or when you're not making the sales that you need in order to make any sort of profit or even break even. Um, You know, it is a pretty demoralizing experience. I also, as a director of another gallery, did the Armory Art Fair. And we were all the way at the very, very, very back of the pier. (laughs) And this is about 2007, maybe. Mm -hmm. And, um, oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many miles I walked just in the, just, (laughs) and you're on your feet the whole time too. But, um, uh, you know, it's just, a there's a tremendous cost to it. I will say that if you were a smaller or medium sized gallery, but I, I do feel like there started to be a sense probably peaking three or four years ago that, that galleries couldn't afford not to do fairs. Mm-hmm. I do think that that 
feeling started to turn probably around the time Jerry Saltz wrote that piece is that more and more galleries were saying, we're not going to do as many fairs this year. We're going to cut down on that number. That was already trending, actually, before 2020 even kicked in. I think that, you know, one of the things you're talking about in terms of it being a mall and competing for eyes, one of the problems that a lot of people have complained about, including, I'm sure, myself, is that the art on show tends to be very grabby and even kind of gimmicky. There's a mm -hmm. lot of kind of conceptual light stuff that goes on. There's actually what we kind of think of as art fair art, which is kind of big, splashy, slightly glammy kind of stuff that would maybe appeal to younger buyers that don't want to have to learn a whole lot about an artist <laughs> or their work in order to get, in quotes, get the piece, you know, get the work. Well, a lot of that stuff is also the stuff that photographs well and looks good on Instagram, right? And or and looks just good on Instagram. sells through right. like the, the price sheet that these gallerists send out before the art fair even happens. Sure, sure, sure. So, um, and I would like to get into how the internet or online sales uh, can or, or can't uh, replace art fairs in a little bit. I'd like for us to touch on that, but... There are, there are such things as local art fairs, uh, fairs that are specific to the cities that they're in that are smaller. But in terms of like, and one of the problems that Houston had with its art fairs is that if Houston isn't really a destination for tourists, why have an international fair here in Houston? Yeah. The Dallas Art Fair worked very, very hard to turn itself into an international art fair and really pretty much succeeded, but it had to make a whole lot of promises. And it really wasn't until, I would say more fully, it wasn't until the Dallas Museum of Art, or really just kind of a, a whole a, a force of consultants and uh, money coming out of the museums to buy work in the fair, that's when people from out of town really started to want to do this fair in Dallas. Mm -hmm. They turned it into kind of a destination for the gallerists rather than probably for collectors. In other words, they've just, they, they dangled very wealthy collectors and really good museums in front of the gallerists so that they would commit to doing the fair. And it, and it worked, you know, it was a weird model. It helps, of course, that Dallas-Fort Worth is awash in really good museums and a lot of really rich collectors. Well, I think also one of the things that's always kind of been special about a fair like the Dallas Art Fair for me is that it has this intensive sense of place. And Christina, it very much, I'm very much kind of echoing what you are saying about it being like a locally run fair with a lot of attention to Dallas, but also just the physical place where the fair happens. I know in a 2016 article for Glass Tire, our former publisher, Rainy Knutson, wrote that she and other people didn't really like the Dallas Art Fair building. But I have to, I have to counter that. The very first time I visited the Dallas Art Fair, I was struck by how well the fair sat in the space. And some of this could come from, you know, attending uh, uh, Basel in Miami and it being tents and convention centers and things like that. This, this building, if you've never been to the Dallas Art Fair, is it's a trade show building. It's called the Fashion Industry Galleries. And it is, there's no kind of fake walls that are brought in. There's no tent. There's no, there's not really a lot of the trappings of what you think of of a traditional art fair. And something about that really kind of 
clicked for me and it it made the fair make sense in the space and i think i i saw it a little bit that it wasn't trying to hide what it was it was like a trade show happening in a trade show building and that i don't know that that jived with me um well i mean what you're saying is is doubly true because that art fair was actually made for that space the space needed something in it and john chagrew uh, needed to put something in it. And so the Dallas Art Fair was dreamed up as a way of monetizing that space that was otherwise kind of sitting empty or just not generating a lot of profit. I was, I, I'm like you, I, and it wasn't a particularly popular take, but I really liked the fair in that building too. I always liked the Fig building and I liked the Dallas Art Fair in that building right next to, you know, the National and the Dallas Museum of Art. And, um, there was always a lot of gossip and a lot of talk and even a lot of pressure to move it out of that building into something that had um, higher ceilings and more space. And yeah. and I think that the Dallas Art Fair, you know, had been hoping or planning to eventually move it. You know, Chagru is a developer and he owns a lot of property and he buys a lot of property and he develops a lot of property in Dallas. And I do think that ultimately it was supposed to outgrow that space. Um it wasn't really growing in terms of number of exhibitors over the last handful of years. It wasn't growing to the extent that it clearly needed a big new space. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that would have happened eventually. I would say that almost all art fair growth at this point has been sort of stunted in Dallas and elsewhere. But I do think that one thing that we, we belly acres about fairs often take for granted with the disappearance of art fairs is that as things start to move online, including the fairs themselves, like the Dallas Art Fair started a culture place to move these galleries and their inventory online so that people could still access it. And all these fairs and all of these auction houses and all of these commercial galleries are doing the same thing, of course. The thing about an art fair is that it's still essentially a curated event or a curated place True. by the organizers and by the panels. And so yeah. what they know is that the galleries are legit. They have legit stables of artists. They have legit programming. They have legitimate business models. And they have legitimate collectors. And so when you walk into a name brand art fair, you have, I don't know, some guarantee that, especially if you're a buyer, that you're not going to get shafted, that the art, you know, is yeah. real, so to speak. Um, whereas, you know, nothing like Instagram can curate your taste or real art for you. I mean, that'll be lost. But a lot of people also said that, you know, that art fairs contributed very directly to people not going into art galleries anymore. I would say the internet has a lot more to do with that than fairs, frankly. But I also know that a gallery at this point, whether they're a Dallas gallery, a Houston gallery, or Tokyo gallery, um, you know, would be probably pretty hesitant to do an international fair to go elsewhere and just assume that the collectors who were used to being able to find them there, that those collectors will even be there to find them. So things we've already talked about this once during this pandemic is things could really get hyper local. And, um, I, I know I just kind of jumped around there, but I, I do think fairs served some purpose. Well, if anything, there's the obvious economic purpose that they serve right of selling art and in theory giving galleries access to a new market but there's also this kind of really odd hyper local ecosystem that 
centers around art fairs. Christina, you and I know a few artists in Houston and in Dallas that when the Dallas Art Fair comes around or when the Texas Contemporary comes around, they have a solid like week's worth of wall building, crate building, art installing. And it's, I feel like I'm always saying this word on this podcast, but it's kind of like a trickle down almost of all of these galleries are coming in and there's all this work that needs to be done. So it trickles down and that work is done by, and therefore these local artists are paid. And that's something that it can be good money for a really short period because it's a a large amount of work that needs to get done. And it could really affect these artists. You know, I could even, I could especially see it in places like New York where there are multiple times during the year where these same people might be called upon, where it could really kind of affect smaller uh, localized economies of artists by these events disappearing. Oh yeah. I mean, our own William Saradet has worked, uh, for the Dallas art fair, uh, as kind of a handler preparator. Uh, he's worked at freeze New York. Um, yeah, absolutely. And we know what happened to a lot of people in Austin when South by Southwest was canceled this year. Yeah. A huge, a huge part of their yearly pay just went up in smoke. Uh, a lot of art workers, a lot of, uh, hourly workers, contract laborers. I mean, it really does erase a, a part of that economy. There's no doubt about it. I don't know. I mean, with the Dallas Art Fair, what I think a lot of people are so curious about is like, where did the exhibitor money go? Because the fair itself didn't actually happen. But, you know, the Dallas Art Fair organizers are like, well, we still had to pay certain people. Well, you know, we're still paying out for essentially production that didn't happen. They had to cancel it pretty close to when the shutdown itself actually started. I will say that art fairs, as as of 2019, art fairs were a huge source of income for the galleries that did them, uh, about 50% of sales for some galleries. So you can imagine how much the lack of fairs uh, has sort of decimated some galleries. And of course, um, for the exhibitors who were meant to go to the Dallas Art Fair who are not getting their money back, that can be even worse. But they also um, account for about 30% of a gallery's expenses over the course of the year because they're so expensive to do. Mm -hmm. I don't know that those numbers have actually changed all that much over the last probably five or six years of galleries that do art fairs. So now they're in the beginning, in the first half of 2020 or the first half of our COVID life, There have been some numbers that came in. Um, 59% of collectors surveyed said that the pandemic had increased their collecting interest. 70% of millennial collectors said they felt more inclined to buy online now. Here's the thing. These spikes in support for galleries and their programming, I don't know how permanent any of that is. You know, we're expecting to see galleries shutting down, not springing up. So... There may have been a kind of outpouring of money spent in the first half of 2020 just based on people knowing that their favorite spaces were going to disappear if they didn't spend some money. There's also always opportunists, you know, who understand that when a gallery is in trouble that they may be more likely to make really good deals. Well, do you think that kind of mindset of collecting will continue to spill over? Because one of the one of the things about art fairs is that we touched on it earlier. They're, they're destination things. It's like you get in the mindset. It's almost like going on a vacation, right? You get in the mindset of, I'm going to go to this art fair and I'm going to buy three things, or I'm going to spend X amount of money. And having something that's event-based 
is just just tends to be more successful than pivoting it and having having the person who's kind of in that position go i'm going to go to my local gallery and i'm going to spend x amount of money it's it's the event mindset and kind of the special opportunity is so is so much a part of what makes it successful you know you hear stories Absolutely. yeah you hear stories of uh, local galleries you know going to an art fair in cologne only to meet you know the curator from the museum up the road and that's how that relationship starts and the thing is i don't know if without that art fair like now because people aren't traveling does the curator from the museum down the road actually check out the local galleries is it something that they better well that's what we would think right but if something like that is so event based or does the collector who would normally go to whatever art fair and see their gallery from the next town over are they going to think to check that gallery's program just individually right if they're not already signed up for the email list like part of this is now there's a lot more responsibility on the gallerists themselves to kind of like flip that Rolodex and do what the art fair is normally supposed to do. I can guarantee you, Brandon, these art dealers are doing that stuff all year long, oh, no yeah. matter what. I have no doubt about <laughs> I mean, that. You, you have to pay your rent at the first of the month, whether you go to an art fair or do an art fair or not. I think, um, I think what you're hitting on also is just the communal aspect of art and visual art and the fact that, as we've already talked about in some previous art dirts, that's, that stuff's getting lost. The reason artists make the work to begin with, you know, is about, I mean, art fairs definitely the, the excitement, the adrenaline, the endorphins, the endorphins that come from being in crowds and being around people and having these conversations, mm -hmm. seeing the art in person, talking to the dealers in person, talking to other collectors in person, talking to other art lovers, uh, cheek to cheek. It's just a, it's just a huge part of the energy. And so when you try to get galleries right now to talk about how much they're selling online, whether it's an art fair uh, model or their own, again, whatever spikes might have happened in the beginning in terms of sales for, you know, like people understanding that if they don't spend money now that all of these entities could just disappear. I don't know. I don't know that the economy is even going to be such to support a whole lot of this extra goodwill that for that much longer. I think the galleries that have been around for a little while and already have good relationships in their cities with their collectors and with the consultants, et cetera, they may be fine. And I think that there might, there may be a doubling down in terms of attitude of local art communities to support their local art galleries. I, I, I hope so, but I don't know. I mean, getting bodies all back into the same space to experience art at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that's under so much strain right now. And I, people are obviously chomping at the bit to get back out there and to really look at stuff. So there could actually be almost like a boomerang effect where, you know, if there is a vaccine and people manage to get hold of it and have it, that people will just stream back into art spaces. <laughs> I don't know. I'm probably not the best person to ask because I miss going to art spaces and I miss seeing art in person. Mm-hmm. Here, here's my concern ultimately about sort of the paradox of seeing, of, of loving art and seeing art and wanting to see new art and having a hunger for being exposed to what art is out there is that art fairs were a very imperfect vehicle for this, but they did mm -hmm. as again, because they were essentially curated, they did 
go some distance in helping with that goal for some people. You know, ideally, art moving online could open up more people to more art. You you would like to think that it could. Mm-hmm. Um, but practically and psychologically, it seems like it will more likely go the way that all trends online tend to go or all trends with social media, which is that people get stuck in particular feedback loops, you know, confirmation bias loops, mm-hmm. and they start, they start to see a lot less than they were seeing before. You know, the algorithms push you into tighter and tighter corners. Mm-hmm. And my fear is that instead of, and unless art is made for the web, is made to be seen online only, it tends to lose a whole lot in the transition. But, you know, I'm just afraid that sort of all art is going to look like cause you know going forward (laughs) that's all anyone's gonna see or look at whether they like it or not that's what they're gonna be shown because that's where all the reactions are and I just worry that the subtleties of course I worry that all the subtleties uh and complexity and gray areas and everything are gonna get lost and that I you know I never I don't think that I'm to a point where I'm I would say that I'm going to miss art fairs because I'm not sure that that's true at all that's almost just a dispositional thing as well, but I know what you mean though, because the thing about art fairs is that they are very much for the elite. It's like you and I can normally manage to get in because of like because we are media. But the thing about it is if we're you pressed. if you were to try and buy a ticket for an art fair, it can be very prohibitive. Like when I was in school, I was able to like scrounge up a free pass or, you know, if you know a gallerist, you might be able to get a free pass from them or there's, there's ways around it, but kind of whatever way around it, you have to be somewhat in the know. Like if you're just a person coming in off the street and you see a $50 price tag to walk through 50 booths of art, I, I don't know if I would take that up. So hopefully if, these art fairs are online and the model is going to be open, it might kind of have an exposure because while Christina, like you, I don't know if I can necessarily say I'm really going to miss art fairs. The best kind of education about contemporary art, you know, save for all of the problems that we've talked about, save for the problems of the types of art that are at the fairs, it isn't totally representative of everything that's going on. Some of the best contemporary art education could be walking through an art fair, just being able to know what's in vogue, if nothing else. Oh, no, no doubt. No doubt that walking all the way through uh, Miami Basel, you will just through osmosis start to get a pretty good snapshot of kind of what's what's hot right now. That's actually all you really get a snapshot of. Well, it's what's hot right now, but it's also kind of an art history lesson, albeit an extremely Western version, what kind of art history isn't. But um because it's like you get the Warhol and you get the Oldenburg and you get the like you get the Mark Bradford and you get the 1920s to present also it's not just what's hot right now it's kind of what has been hot because some people are still going to want that well yeah there's always some secondary market stuff isn't there but you know but what I was going to say is knowing what's hot right now is not necessarily a bad thing to know if you are press if you're an artist if you're another dealer we take this stuff for granted until it goes away and and then we're like oh but what did it do for us and mm-hmm. you know I've seen some incredible solo shows 
at a Hauser and Worth exhibitor booth in a major international fair. Um, yeah. And you have two, you know, it's just, you know, there's still a, you know, the, the mega galleries that can afford to do museum style shows will do them in an art fair. And you're paying one ticket price to go in and see at least 10 of these kind of stunning, weird things that you wouldn't otherwise get to see. So, you know, say what you will about the art fairs and who knows what form they will take when they come back. And who knows, you know, given all of the talk that people, you know, are sharing right now about uh, economic inequality, wage workers, about just essentially just a sense of unfairness in terms of how money flows. It could be that these art fairs even themselves even come up with models that make it a little bit more fair for smaller galleries, emerging galleries, mid-tier galleries to be able to afford to do these fairs without it terrifying them <laughs> each time to know if they're going to actually make the sales. Now, having said that, most galleries, if they've done their homework, probably have an idea of how much selling they're going to do before they, you know, before they mm -hmm. even get there. Um, either because they've worked the phones and they've found the collectors who are going to buy the work, they've pre-sold the work. It's very hard to get galleries to tell you how much they've sold or whether they've sold work at a fair. You can understand why they're very protective of that information. But yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to to think that that's a kind of thing that we could we could start to feel like we miss as we move into this new normal. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not anything I would have normally said, but I don't see any reason to celebrate the misfortune of the Dallas Art Fair or its exhibitors. I think all of this stinks. You know, I think what COVID has done has been decimating to so many industries and 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 often the trickle down effect is devastating including to the artists and uh none of it's good none of it's good yeah no reason to celebrate the death of art fairs because it's really just part of a bigger die-off and um there's a lot of money there's a lot of money being lost right now by a lot of people who just who almost really can't afford it or really can't afford it yeah I don't mean this in the connotation that it comes off, but it's almost like the demise of an apex predator in an ecosystem. It's like, it isn't necessarily a good thing. It means that the whole system is, there, that there's some stuff going on with it. It was already bad. I mean, as, as we had already probably decided prior to COVID, the art fair system was fairly broken in many ways for about, you know, 50% of the people who participate in it. But yeah, exactly. It's what you're saying. It's like, we don't need to celebrate um, the death of a primary way for some people, honest people, to make a living. Yeah. Well, with that, uh, any final thoughts? No, I just, uh, I should add that when I walked all those miles up and down the pier, mm -hmm. I was wearing very, very high heels. Nice. <laughs> I've never in my life like lost all of the feeling in my feet uh, before, and I haven't since. Um, but for days, and I really thought that maybe I damaged my circulation to such a degree that it would never come back. Be you know, be when you go to art fairs. If you go in the future, just just take a moment to um, to send kind thoughts to all of the dealers you see sitting in booths who are wearing uncomfortable footwear. That's a good note. With that, thanks for listening and see some art see some art <laughs>